Welcome to Opinion Havers, a movie podcast for fans of The Voice. I'm Cody. And I'm Tyler. Tyler, what did we watch? We watched Dune. Dune. It's like movie absolution month. James Bond finally came out. Dune finally. You know, all these things that have been delayed for like over a year have finally come into my life. It's a special time. Special time for you. It's a special time for me. Mostly a special time for me, though. Don't take this away. I need this. I need it. You don't even know. You're not even a fan of Dune. You don't even like Dune. I am a fan of Dune. How dare you? You're like Anakin Skywalker over here. You're like, I don't even like sand. (laughs) Oh, um, I did it. I saw it. I saw it in a theater, a regular theater. I saw it in an IMAX theater. I saw it at home. I did it. I did the trifecta. I did all three. It was delightful. So, so let me ask you, did you do it? I I doomed it. I did not. Okay. There I have go. a confession. I have not gone to see it in an IMAX as it is quite a trek for me to get to an IMAX mm-hmm. in my new home. Um, I did, however, test to make sure the movers did not destroy my TV by watching Dune on it. Nice. Oh, man. Tyler, there's so much to do, to discuss. First off, do you, you know, like, you're the guy who knows things about Dune. I'm just the, the plebe. I'm just the noob here. So would you like to explain what this movie's about? This movie is, all right, so the... There's going to be a twist for everybody. Ready? Here we go. This movie is about oh. a, a duke. It's far future where humanity is super hyper advanced and they've gone back to like a feudal society. So it's a duke and his family and they've been asked to go to Arrakis by the emperor. They've been given it. Uh, Arrakis or Dune is where the spice comes from. Spice classic, you know, started from this book. Spice, the whole thing, the vague drug that's super valuable, makes everybody rich that does it. And so they're at uh, at war with another house, and they're, they're like, all right, so they're taking it from this other house, giving it to the Atreides, and it's them going there, and the events that follow, and the intrigue, and the political upset, and all the cool stuff, and the hairless Momoa, and all the things... <laughs> and uh it's slowly like just that's what it, i mean it's that it's like it's game of thrones but it's the original game it's what inspired game of thrones basically mm. in space far future but it's all humans it's all feudal but in space it's game of thrones plus star wars except that it's a book and it's also the thing that inspired both of those things. Yeah. This is the book. The Dune is the book that, like, it's seriously, it's like what George R. R. Martin is like, yeah, that's where all the political stuff for Game of Thrones came from. And it's like where most of the stuff for Star Wars came from. And most sci-fi things that you know came from this book or some other ones that I know that came around around the same time. I can't remember the names of them or the author, but Frank Herbert and, like, two other guys wrote several series of books in the 60s that really inspired like all sci-fi now that we have now and uh it's it's incredible 
the thing most people don't know this book or this movie is like the first half of the book so they've already greenlit the second movie the second half of the book mm-hmm. so i know some people were like it just ends in the middle what the heck it's like no no it ends in a good spot it's a big book well it's like uh it's like my friend growing up who saw fellowship of the ring and didn't know it was part of a trilogy and he was like i don't know they didn't destroy their they didn't do anything <laughs> it's like well yeah there's there's more story you know it's just part of the story they'll do more don't worry yeah um all right first impressions tyler i love this movie i liked it a, a very large amount when i saw it and then i was like i better see that again but see it in imax and i was like you know what i think it was even I, even better i been waiting for it for a long time. Huge fan of Denis Villeneuve. Dooney Villeneuve, if you will, the director. Made Blade Runner, Arrival, Sicario, all good things. And um, I'm rooting for him. I was very protective of him. And I'll tell you what. I made my first personal Facebook post in like four years <laughs> to tell people to go watch this movie. Because I was so worried it wouldn't do well enough to get greenlit for the, for the sequel. So um, I loved it. It was wonderful. It was everything I was hoping for. I literally have, I have one complaint, which I'll dive into later, and that's it. I have one note, and everything else was, this was a wonderful film. They did a great job. It was delightful. So that's where I stand. That's where I'm at. I loved it. Three times. Three times wasn't enough. I mean, it's probably enough for now, but it's one of those movies... It's like when The Force Awakens came out and I saw it like three times in the theaters um, and then not much since then, but I still will rewatch it for the series. It's going to be one of those. All right, I've seen it thrice. I'll see it. I'll see it a fourth time. I'll, it was a great. It was a great rewatch. It's a slower paced movie, so I wasn't sure how it would be rewatching. And I was wrong. It was better rewatching it. It was Denis. He's a master and I love him. He's dear to me. He's dear to my heart. He's dear to all of our hearts now, Cody, as we've we all come in and be part of the the Dune verse. You know, really, I like to think all Denise movies take place in the same universe because they all look very foggy, and I like to think that we live in a universe that's ninety percent fog. You know, you know, they really. If you think about Zakaria, takes place in like modern day. Uh, Prisoners is also like a modern day kind of tale that could be take place today. Arrival is about the future and how they learn to do space and time travel, you know, like this connecting of dimensions. Blade Runner is only like 20 years in the future from now. And this is thousands and thousands of years. So really, all these movies could take place in the same universe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because it's the same Duneverse, if you will. Oh, the Duneverse. Everybody loves a good Duneverse. That's the, th- that's kind of the genius I think of the Dune books is that like. Frank Herbert like, he. He's like, all right, we're gonna write this where, this stuff, this stuff happens. This is like in our timeline. This is future stuff. It's real humans from Earth. All that, but it's ten thousand years in the future. It's so far in the future that like whatever you're doing, was probably like cons- like forgotten about or considered like myth to these people because it's just mm-hmm. so far in the past that nobody even cares about it anymore. Yeah, Blade Runner is like, hey, what if we were twenty years in the future? And then, 
you know, it, it always does that thing where like, oh, this movie's in 20 or 30 years. And then it, that, that time hits and you're like, oh man, we were so wrong about so many things. But you go this far in the future and you're like, no, it's like legitimately, it could be like this. And it's, it is cool that he draws on so many themes of like the medieval feudal stuff, you know? So it's like, oh, it's kind of like history repeating itself, but also we have totally different technologies and, you know, it's in different parts of like an ever expanding universe. So yeah. yeah. So, but as for you, as a fan of the book, first impressions, what did the movie do for you? I really, really, really like the movie. It is, so it's exactly what I would have done for the movie like it's all the stuff i would have cut out and all the stuff i would have skipped over because um they're like there's lots of moments like there's something there's some stuff that's like cut out obviously there's you know just like the classic example would be like tom bombadil getting cut out of lord of the rings and everybody's like but it doesn't impact the story so that's why he got cut out and it's very similar like there's a there's a plot point or kind of like a side tangent thing in the book early on where when they first get to Dune, you know, without any kind of spoilers or anything, they get, it's a desert planet and there's like a room that the previous tenants of the palace they're living in had like this giant like garden room that was t- filled with water and like viewed as this huge waste of water and all that. And it was like uh, there's uh, some information that comes from there and like some cool stuff when you're reading it because it's a lot of like slow political build-up stuff but they gave the same information in like one sentence from one character in the movie and just cut out an entire whole other thing cut out an entire set of characters that they're like you're not necessary because you don't really ever come up again after this Mm. so you were just there to pass on this one piece of information that we just handed off to a different character who I think in the book also gave the same information anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's like with Lord of the Rings, they did that a lot where it's like, okay, this is a great line, but we'll have to repurpose it, give it to this character. We don't want to lose that, but also we can't go down that rabbit hole with that storyline, you know? So I think you kind of have to do that when you're adapting a work like this. I did a great job. I want to get into it. Yeah, the last thing I was I love that all the major like pretty much any time like Paul says stuff to people, it's just ripped straight from the book. It's just like like the dialogue in the book is so well written that he's just like, yep, we're just here's the script. And I like that a lot because a lot of those lines mm-hmm. are so well written and so thought out because like Frank Herbert went through so many iterations of the book and uh to just nail the final copy so i like that they he didn't try to rewrite or condense or make things sound less pretentious he's just like nope we're going full dune with it and if you're in for it you're in for it and if you're not you weren't gonna see it anyway so so yeah all right so you want to get your you we'll dive into it cody cody get get in this giant dragonfly thought get in my thopter my ornithopter cody (laughs) Get in here. Get in the back of the dragonfly. We're flying in there. We're going. We're going to. We're, we're getting in it. We're going. We're going to fly into the, to the ship up to the Highliner, and we're gonna. Blink on over to Spoiler Town, USA. Even Earth doesn't really exist anymore in the Dune verse, but you know, 
we'll go there. It's all just radioactive slag, but you know, we're there. It's they it is a war with the robots. It's not in the movie, Cody. It's it's fine. Yeah. Doesn't affect the movie. But we're here. We're in it. It's you know, we're in it. It's happening. All right. We're in it. We're here. Yeah. It's going down. Do you want to go first? Or want me to go first? I want you to go first. I want you to go first so bad. <clears throat> All right, here I go. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. All right. First off, this is an excellent movie, and I love Denis. I love Denis Villeneuve for making it, and I knew he'd do a great job. And to all the haters out there, you've been proved wrong. How look? He was so careful and like, he's been making movies for like twenty years, and he did it. The last, the first ten years were making. He's from French Canada, and he made movies in French. Then he did American movies, and he's like, "I'm not going to do Dune right away. I would like this is my dream project. This is like the movie I would love to do." But he's like, "I want to do sci-fi movies before I make it, so I can understand the genre and how to make a sci-fi movie." So like, he's made multiple English films. Then he made multiple English sci-fi films, and all of that has led him up to this point. And oh, he did a great job i i loved it here's the thing number one thing about this movie and this is what everyone needs to understand more than anything else i think there are daddies for days okay there's daddies on the left daddies on the right it's oscar isaac it's jason momoa it's dave bautista it, there's baby daddies you know you got timothy chalamet he's a baby daddy i would say i think he's a young man and i think i think we have our first our first female daddy, I would say, is in this. I think we got to give a shout out to Rebecca Ferguson. Thought she did a great job. High fives all. Daddies for days. I think that that should be the tagline of Dune Part One. Daddies for days. Okay, that's the tagline. I need the poster. I want a poster. Daddies for days poster. All right. I was so nervous. I got out of this movie and I was like, this movie was so good. But it's still a Denis Villeneuve movie, and so I don't know. I was afraid because, like, this is so well made. And I even saw a headline that said, like, oh, Dune is the anti-blockbuster. It's like, it's doing well. It is based on class and true, but it's still a Denis Villeneuve movie. Like, it's much slower paced, and it's very deliberate. And for all those reasons, I was so afraid. Because if you look at a normal blockbuster like a Marvel, the things that people show up for, even like a James Bond, it's like, oh, it's sexy, it's sleek, there's humor, there's action. It's all in one. You know, it's got everything in one. And this is like, hey... Would you like a political sci-fi thriller um, that's very deliberately paced and there's no love story, at least yet? I don't know if there will develop one. And so just like, oh, this doesn't have the laughs. Like it has like maybe two jokes in the whole movie. Like it is not, it doesn't have like the Marvel, hey, we did a big punch-up script on this, you know? And so it doesn't have some of those elements that make like, for example, Lord of the Rings, even that one's like, oh, they put plenty of humor into that. And it's got like the fantasy and action elements where it really it flies a lot faster than this movie does. This movie really takes its time. And so I just I was just nervous. I'm so glad it was greenlit. I spent all weekend worrying about it and uh telling people to see it and <laughs> talking to people about the movie. Um I told you I had one complaint. I'm gonna feel it right now. I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna lay it out there. It hurts me to do it, but I'm gonna do it. It's my complaint. And it's I have that complaint about several young actors. There's not enough diction from Timothy Chalamet. There are a few lines that I thought were very important from him and Rebecca Ferguson where it's like, ah, oh, they kind of mumble those lines. And like, the performance is decent, but I didn't understand what you said. And I had to watch the movie a second time, then I got most of the lines. There are still some lines I didn't get. 
I watched with subtitles. That's why I watched it at home. I'm like, okay, what are a few of those lines that I missed? And that's my one complaint of the movie. And it was better in IMAX, but IMAX has better speakers. So it's one of those things, like, I don't know if they were just really counting on it being a theater experience, but without subtitles, I couldn't get every line in the movie despite it being a slow-paced, deliberate film. So that was my biggest complaint. Uh, my only complaint, because I thought it was great. Denis Villeneuve, the people he's getting on board, the people he's working with, he works with a lot of the same editors and production designers and stuff, and some of the same actors too. Amazing ships, the sets, the props. I thought they were all amazing. I thought they really nailed it. It was like the same energy they had in Blade Runner. They kind of carried it into this. We're like, hey, let's make this world like really, let's really dive in and make it look amazing. And they, I thought they just did a wonderful job. I guess I have one other small complaint. I don't quite understand how the shields work. And we'll have a discussion about that, I'm sure. I'm all in on this story. Like, I'm so ready. And I think it's hard to make a two-part movie. It's very difficult. We've seen it. I've seen it in Harry Potter with Twilight. Like, none of them do it that well. This is the best done, I think even maybe more so than Kill Bill for me. I think this is the best two-part movie, like one part of a two-part movie. The act structure, I don't know how they finagled it, but they made it work, at least for me. Because the start of the movie is, hey, here's this world, here's what's going on, we're going to this new planet. You get on the planet... Things go bad. Um, and you're like, okay, well, when is this going to end? And then there's kind of like a beat. Or wait, what am I? I I don't know. I need to see this movie a fourth time. But whatever the act structure is, it kind of worked for me. Because then it kind of takes a weird beat. And then it's like, hey, here's with the Fremen. And then there's this really intense, like, they're in the desert. And it's like, are they going to find him? Oh, they do find him. Then there's like this intense fight to the death, Kumite thing. And that's like, for me, is like the peak of the movie. And then it's like, it's a fast decline, but it really worked for me. Like intro to the world, the world's in chaos. Okay, now what is our hero going to do? And here's the start of his, his real journey starts here. And it's in the desert and it's with the Fremen. And then it goes from there. And I think as an act structure, it works surprisingly well. Um, I've heard people be like, that's a movie about nothing. I'm like, they introduced so much in not that much time. Like they really introduce your main character and what the world is. And you really understand the different cultures. And I just thought it was great. I really did. Um, they killed off. And that's the other thing. Part of the reason I was like, this is going to be hard to make as part two. They haven't greenlit it yet. And the scheduling and all that. You can't have actors as hot as Oscar Isaac and Jason Momoa on the same project and be like, how are you going to get them in the same room to shoot more scenes? Oh, all the people you love are dead. <laughs> it's, and um which is sad but also i thought it made for like great cinema like i really did and so i think it's going to be easier to shoot the second half because you don't have to get half those actors back because so many of like the hot actors in the movie died i'm um, like josh brolin and jason momoa and oscar isaac so you know pros and cons I, it made for a great story it really did um but it broke it did break my heart I don't know how, why do they did it? They did me. They did me good. They did me real good and it hurt. And I, I love them for making it. Um, it is a bold, this is a bold movie too, because it doesn't, the, Bailey didn't, she wasn't sure about the movie because there were so many questions. She's like, it was all questions. She didn't get any answers. I'm like, I get that, but that's the point. I feel like, you know, they're like, hey, we have to set this up and you don't know what's going to happen next, but. It's a, it's a pretty bold statement. They kind of just did a mic drop. They're like, hey, here's this amazing thing we made. Do you want more? Do you want to know how it ends? That's the only, you know? And I loved it. 
Yeah, oh, I'm going to cut you off, Cody. I, I don't know how long you went. I just I was just like, oh, he's going. I just, just got to let him keep going there. I tried to set an alarm or a timer, and I didn't, so that's why. I said it, and it, like, reached zero, and I was just like, I, I'm just going to let him keep going. <laughs> I'm just going to let him go. I'm ready. I'm ready. All right, go ahead. I'm ready. All right, Cody, here's the thing. Yeah, Cody, this movie is incredible. Look at this. For all the video viewers that we don't have, look at that. That's how much of the book that got through, Cody. This thick part it's is over half. It's over half, all right? Let's talk about this. Let me tell you this, Cody. All right, for all you people out there, they did it right in the movie. All these people out here doing movie reviews and everything, it's Harkonnen. Harkonnen is the bad guy house. Harkonnen. Not Harkonian, not Harkunin. Not whatever else David Leach said or David Lynch said. It, all right, David Lynch. All right, it's Harkonnen. All right, and Sardaukar. Sardaukar. All right, all these people. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm using my rant to explain things, Cody. Sardaukar. They're the Emperor's legions. That's what they are. Everybody's afraid of them because they're ba mofos. All right, that's who they are. They're they're dudes, they're out there, they're going, oh, and the guy's twisting his hands, and they're doing a weird bloodletting ritual. Here's the thing, here's what you don't know, Cody, that Jardakowski, whatever dude, who tried to make Dune and failed, and for some reason, every director in the world super respects this dude that nobody knows about, that guy, he he tried to make Dune. There's a ton of stuff, including that, they never go to Gady, or not Gady Prime, they never go to Seleucus Secundus, which is the Sardaukar planet. But you don't know that in the book, so they spoil a huge plot point in the book. But that's fine because it doesn't matter because they're avoiding a ton of this political stuff. But that is a big point of the book where it's like, where did the Sardaukar come from? Nobody knows. Everybody just assumes they're just dudes. No, they're prisoners from this hellhole of Seleucus Secundus. So that, but that whole thing is like, that's how he did uh, Seleucus Secundus. So that's how Denise like, I want to do it that way because that's an homage to this dude that I super respect. But when that guy tried to do it, everybody's like, this is super dark and creepy and you're not doing this because it's not going to go well. <laughs> Cody, here's the thing. I don't like Rebecca Ferguson. I don't like her. Okay. Jessica is a whiny, whiny little slut in this movie. Okay. She, I hate her. I hate, she's always crying in every scene she's in, in the book. Paul's the whiny little bee. All right, he's whiny, and Jessica's like, hold it together, man. You got to keep it together. You are the Duke. Smack him in the face. You're you're going to hold it together. She's like a secret agent, all right? She's in there. She's going. She's killing people. She's doing all this cool stuff, all right? And then in this one, she's just like, Paul, I'm crying, Paul. And he's like, stop it. Hold it together, woman. I'm like, no, it's the other way around. Paul's a bee. And then he gets cool later. There's so many things, Cody, I wanted to say. I wanted to say and then, like, based on your stuff, I'm like, oh, no, that's later in the book. And you never read the books. So I don't want to spoil things because it's going to blow your mind in the next one, Cody. There's some things you're going to be like, what? In the next movie, it's going to be amazing. You're going to be so good. And then in the next movie, which I think they're iffy greenlit, greenlit already, but there's going to be three of them. Then there's going to be even more stuff. This because it's the next book, and then after that, it gets a little too complicated. They probably won't go into those movies. 
It's so, it's, uh, it's, it's the Atreides, Harkonnen, Sardaukar. It's all the names, all right? I'll tell you about Josh Brolin. Oh, it's never how I've envisioned Gurney Halleck, but he looks so good. Oh, he's got the scar. It's like, oh, smile, Gurney. I am smiling. Oh, classic line, Cody. So, so, so good. Oh, and he says, my boy, Cody. Momoa. Momoa's out here saying my boy because he can't say my man because that's what? It's copywritten. That's DC. That's Aquaman. That's Aquaman's catchphrase. I don't know if that's true, Cody, but that's probably true. <laughs> All right. Can't say my man. This is this copywritten by DC. It's a different company. Cody, can we, a legendary. They make the coolest movies ever. All right. <laughs> the best movies. All right. All those people out here, they're upset. They're upset. The Kynes. Kynes, he's a guy in the book. It's a dude in the book. And then this one, they made it a girl. And that's fine. It's fine because here's a fun fact for you. Kynes does nothing. Does nothing in the book. Does nothing in the movie. Fun fact though, Kynes was originally the main character of the book. Originally, all about Kynes. And then he, uh, the the editor is like, hey, here's my suggestion to you, dude. You need to dial back the ecological like uh, soapbox rants here and make uh, this Paul kid the main character, not Kynes. Make Kynes like a side character. Then he can do the soapbox rant and then you can kill him off in the first half of the book and it's fine. And that's what he did. And then everybody's like, oh, this is the best book ever written in the history of forever. And then we were all like, yep, that's true. And now here we are. We're watching Denis, Denis, Denis Villeneuve or whatever, you know, all these people out here. His people can't even, they can't pronounce the names of the houses. They can't pronounce Denis' name. It's Denis Villeneuve. I got it wrong. And then you corrected me. And now I say it right. Say it right, people. All right, Tyler. I'm not, look, I love what you're saying. I love your energy. I got to cut you off. All right. Uh, Yeah. Denny Villeneuve, or as he shall now forever henceforth be known, Dooney Villeneuve, um, because he blessed us. We have been blessed by him. I, I got shown, a lot to say. Have I shown you this book, by the way? I just gave you a good, solid view of it. I don't. I feel like you did show it to me, but I haven't like seen it. I haven't seen its girth. Um, I think you showed me that you ordered it. Thick oh, boy. Beautiful. Oh, it's got the blue for the blue eyes, the blue pages. Yeah. Look at that. Look. Can you? I don't it's know beautiful. if you can see. Fears the mind killer. Yes. All right. Since you brought it up. This is one of the lines I could never, I never got because it's Rebecca Ferguson mumbling it while uh, Paul is going through his trial with the Benny Gesserit lady. Yes. Uh, I'm going to read it for you. It's a quote. It's an important quote, I'm assuming, because it's on the cover of that book and it seems to sum up a lot of things and she says it multiple times. It says, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone... I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear is gone, there will, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. Yeah. So there you go. That's the that's the quote. That's what she. That's what people are mumbling. That I wish they did better diction. Uh, but it was a good scene. Every scene was a good scene. I loved it. Yeah. Which see, like I, I have issues with the scene. Um, with the Benny Gesserit, the trial thing. Well, so I have issues with her in that scene because, and I, I kind of get it, right? So, by the way, this is where, so you saw where I showed you, you know, like up here. So, like, they, he took, like, it's a about, it's about like, the 60% mark is, yeah. is where the movie ends. But, so, like, there is a point in the Page book, wise. if I show you here, where it switches. It's, like, two books, basically, you know? Oh, yeah. And I was like, if you stop there, it's a bad movie. <laughs> Like, because would that have just literally been them like hey we showed up at dune here's what dune is like it stops but they never would have had the betrayal and the battle and all that so it stops 
like the next book starts with um Rab, Raban, yeah, Raban telling uh the Baron that they're dead. Mm-hmm. That's when the next book starts. So you wouldn't have got it's you wouldn't have gotten the Jameis fight. And I was telling Tiffany when we were reading the book because we listened to the book together as we moved out here. Um, and I told her, I was like, they're gonna like, if I was making the movie, I would I would want to put it. I would want to end it right after the Jameis fight, mm-hmm. because that's like a good end to it. That's like you've gone up, you've crescendoed, and then that's a good like cliffhanger because you can like leave it as. Then you know, if it never gets a second part. That's kind of a satisfying end of him being kind of accepted into the Fremen, or you can lead into the second one. And that's exactly what he did. And I was like, <gasps> oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think it was well well written. Um, I mean, I think with a lot of Denise movies, it's they're not like super dialogue heavy. And part of that is like he's I mean, he like he speaks English, but he's not like a super confident, like accent free English speaker, you know, and even he yeah. says, like, I've got a limited vocabulary, you know, like so I do like repeat phrases sometimes and things when he's like giving direction and stuff like that. Um, so it's just interesting to think about movies in that way. Like, I wonder if his French movies are different. I don't speak French, so I don't think I would appreciate, you know, have the appreciation for like how they speak or how it works. But I think it works well. Um, the writers, I'm sure we've discussed this previously, but the writer was the writer. So there's Denis was one of the writers. Then there's the writer of Prometheus and Doctor Strange. And then the other writer wrote Forrest Gump and Benjamin Button. So quite an interesting like range of people working on the script. Yeah. I thought together they did. It was a pretty good team. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, oh. yeah I don't know. I, I love the beats. Um, I don't know. Can you explain the shield thing to me? Because I, yeah. I, they say the line, the slow blade penetrates the shield. So it's just like if you hit hard enough or like slowly push through the shield fat you know enough that it goes through like how does it work Cause it's like hey we have these body shields all right or is it like is it like halo or it's like yeah the shield lasts for a bit and then it's your it's your health that's going to take down you know like what is it so or is there a discrepancy between the book and the movie of what the shields do there's a discrepancy but not about how they work in relation to like blades um so the this is going to get into one of my very few gripes with the movie my first gripe, obviously, was I didn't like how whiny Lady Jessica was. But uh-huh. so I should say I didn't like Lady Jessica. I like Rebecca Ferguson as Lady Jessica. So get that out of the way. So the shield okay. are um, they're like they're like an energy barrier, right? I take you away. So three thousand years ago, Cody, this dude made an EMP shield. A scrambler net, as they called it, to protect against the robots. Then the robots, then this lady, she's uh, the person. She's she ended up found in the the navigators. Anyway, it's not important. She's like, what if we made it into like a body shield to for protection? And then they're like, that's genius. So then they did it. All right. Uh, so basically, what it is is an energy barrier, right? So if something hits it fast, it stops it. So it doesn't really matter how hard you hit it. If you hit it like a bullet. That was a big thing. Like a a bullet hits it, it'll stop it. But if you slow down, like if you just go to shake hands with somebody or something, that's slow enough, it'll just go right through the shield. Mm-hmm. So as people use these shields, now this is thousands of years later, these shields are like normal thing. You know, and they uh so now 
when you learn to fight, you learn like you have to strike really fast, but at the last second you have to slow your blade down and just slowly push it through. So that's one of the things with the Jameis fight later of in the that they showcase in the book, but I like how in the movie she's just like, no, he's hesitating because he hasn't killed a man before. But in the book they make a big thing of like, he'll kill him. He doesn't really want to kill him, but it's more that he like slows down at the last second and Jameis can twist out from underneath mm, the knife interesting so james is fast enough to avoid getting hit that way and paul has to adjust how he fights and like follow through with the strike and so that's another thing of like so they've developed like the darts that ua uses when he does his betrayal and he's like stunning everybody where it'll mm. go and then at the last second the dart will like slow down and slowly mm. push through the shield and or they've got like those bombs that will slowly go through the shields on the ships yeah. So that they can interesting because that didn't check like for me because the only thing they do is Josh Brolin when he's training says the slow blade penetrates the shield. That's all he says, you know. So yeah. I wish they had had like one or two more lines of dialogue to d- explain that because I was just like, what's one of these shields? If like I didn't know those things were designed to go through at a slow speed, you know. So yeah, yeah no, that makes sense. I just wish, as someone who know nothing about Dune except that there's spice and blue eyes, um, going into it that that had been. Because it's such a big thing. You're like, they have these, they're showing these shields getting destroyed by all this stuff. It's like the shield hasn't saved anyone once the whole movie. But you're yeah. saying it's because that's how they're designed to fight. How that, That's how the weapons are designed. And Yeah. So, I mean, like, it. you know, like uh, like he has the, the Mala pistol. A shield would stop the Mala pistol. Or like when uh, they're fighting with the knives and you see, you can see like anytime it's blue, it's bouncing off of the shield. Mm-hmm. And then they have to slowly push through to get that... Uh, they, which I think they played a little fast and loose with how mm-hmm. the, uh, like how they had to fight. Like there was a few times where they, you know, he just like fought like normal and like would just kind of slash through the shield. But mm-hmm. one of the reasons they would do that, like in the book, they think they kind of explain it. Not actually, I don't think they do it in this book. I think they actually explain it in the book. That's like a prequel where they explain them making the shields where they're like, if you make it impenetrable, like air can't get through and you'll suffocate. Mm-hmm. So they have to make it so air can slowly perm- like go through and you won't. And even then it's like they'll reference in the book that like the air kind of takes on a stale quality because it's slowly filtering through and all that. So it's mm-hmm. like, there's a lot of that, but then like they do stuff where there's some stuff where the people have shields. And one of the, my big thing is that one of the big factors with the shields is that if a laser so lasers exist, but they're very inefficient weapons. So it's this is so far in the future that laser guns were invented, deemed to be like pointless because it's like you can use it, but it only lasts for like a minute and then it's done. And yeah. so that's like, yep, nah, it's not worth it to move on. But if a laser hits a shield, it creates like an atomic bomb, like it goes off. And that's something in the book that like to escape. That's what Duncan Idaho did was he like planted a shield and tricked them into shooting the shield with a laser and mm. like blew up the Harkonnens that were chasing him. So the fact that like they were trying to shoot him with a laser while he was flying around in his shielded ornithopter, I was like, Oh, come on, man. Like this is a huge point that comes up later that if a laser hits this shield, it's going to kill everybody mm. in the city. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know how they're going to, cause they never had a shield get hit with a laser. So they might, I think they still possible that he'll do that mm-hmm. but wow uh, yeah i one of my notes is like am i gonna have to start 
reading books. Like I'm so torn. Part of me is like, oh, it'd be great to read this book. Because part of the reason I didn't, I started reading the book once upon a time. And I was like, there's so much going on in the first few pages. And I talked to other people who are like, you know, if you just watch an adaptation, then you kind of know who everyone is and it all makes sense from the get-go. Yeah. And then when I found out Denis was doing it, I'm like, well, of course I'm not going to, you know, I'm just going to watch his version of it. And so I'm torn. Part of me is like, I should read the books because it's going to be two years before I see the rest of book one. Um, and I don't want any spoilers. Like, I would love to experience the story. I'm also not a big reader. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm tempted to read the books now, but also do I want to just see what how it unfolds on screen? You know, it's hard. Yeah, it. I would have said you should read the book, but there is so many, like, well, not really so many, but there are a couple things just based on your like rant and stuff you said that I think will be big, like mind blowing moments. If you wait to see the second half of the movie versus yeah. reading the book. So it's, it is, it's hard because especially because some of the things aren't like, it's not like it's mind blowing when it happens in the book because you see it coming because they don't like hide the fact that, Something's happening. It's more like a more like a J.R. Tolkien thing. Where it's like, yeah, look, history repeats itself. It's cyclical. Like, here's I'm going to do this thing that was mimicked in the history of Middle Earth before, and you know, it's all a pattern. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't know. Here's the thing about Timothy Chalamet. Well, number one, Paul in the books is like 15, right? Yeah, he's 14 or 15. Yeah. Timothy Chalamet is like he was 21 or 23 um, when they shot the movie. Uh, he's 25 now. Um, I just, I want to take him home. I want to fatten him up. Like I can fix him. Like I can take him home. Like, look, he's a live skinny rail of a man and we love him. I like, I like his acting. He picks some great roles. But I just want to, I just want to hold him, bottle feed him till he, you know, bulks up. Yeah. That's what I want. That's what I want for us. I will be. Um, yeah, I'll be interested to see if he like if they do have him bulk up a little bit because you don't want to bulk up too much because that's one of the points in the book is that like like they look at they're all kind of thin and wiry because of the water and everything you know there's like never any water and they never like water is like money to these people because it's so valuable. So, yeah. Um. Um. Yeah. Can I can I take a quick pause? Oh yes, of course. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'll be right back. I'm just going to leave my recording going. Oh, okay. Is that fine? Yeah.
Okay, I'm ready when you're ready. Um, I will say, I love the characters. I felt so bad when they all died, like, like <laughs> one by one, you know? Um, I, yeah, I felt so bad for Duncan. I felt bad for everyone in the city, in the Citadel. Um, and I, I really, I thought they did a great job with the fight with, was it Jameis? Yeah. Um, I, I just thought that was like a great like moment of tension in the movie and a great way to end it. Um, like all of that resonated a lot with me. And I think part of that is because Denis is so good at the pacing of the movie and such a slow pace that when those things do happen, like when the action scenes do happen, it makes them more meaningful, you know, because it's not just like huge set piece after set piece after set piece. Like the battles um, matter because they're fewer and far between. Yeah. Which I like how some people that were fans of the book kind of criticized it because they were like, I don't remember that much action in the book. And it's like, so a lot of the action, like when the Harkonnens are coming to, uh, like are invading with the Sardaukar, a lot of that happens like off screen and you're following, you know, Paul or Dr. UA who are kind of like slinking around. So I like that he showed it because it's something I'm like, oh, that's cool. I like one of my favorite scenes during the movie was it. So there's like so much political tension and build up and everything that is kind of cut out because it's just so it would take so, it would add another hour just to put in all the dialogue mm-hmm. so you would explain what's happening. But the gist of it is like the Atreides. So all these houses like the, the, the political system has gone back to feudal because everything's so spread apart. The same reason that feudal government worked you know 2000 years ago it works now because everything's so spread apart one centralized government just can't manage everything because you give an order it takes you know hours or days or something for it to get to that person like you just you need somebody there handling the planet and then you govern that person in a general sense mm-hmm. but so like the push and pull is the emperor has his sardaukar which are matched to the combined force of all the houses of the landstraat which is like their parliament and so that's the only way they could like take down the emperor and the emperor could so their biggest fear like they said is the emperor one by one picking them off with his sardaukar and the atreides because of like the loyalty of the people and like how he's training them and like how he how like the duke has built this system where he like creates such fiercely loyal and like aggressive fighters and everything has his legions are a match to the Sardaukar. So like if he had enough people, he could take on the emperor by himself and that's a threat. So that's mm-hmm. why the emperor who actually the emperor is the Duke's cousin. He likes the Duke. It is. Mm-hmm. Does it like he even like one of the things that they, specify the book that they gloss over in the movie because the emperor doesn't come up too much is that he makes sure like he makes the baron promise to give the duke like an honorable death to not like Mm. torture him or tear him apart or anything like he's like you just kill him don't do anything gross with him basically so they uh but the thing that they but all of that is condensed in the scene where there's the two lines of atreides soldiers with no armor or anything against like an unending horde of the Harkonnens. And they're just like mm-hmm. slowly pushing them down these stairs. And it's not until the Sardaukar come up behind them 
and they're hit on both sides. And the Sardaukar, I kind of wish the Sardaukar had lost a couple guys to accentuate mm. the point a little bit. But yeah. it showcased that like nobody but the Sardaukar can beat these guys. And that's why yeah. they're doing this. That's why the Emperor did this. And it's something mm. that like, it's so much build up to that. But I think that one scene showcases it so well. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, without the Sardaukar, the Harkonnens could have thrown every person they had at this planet and they never would have beaten them because they just mm-hmm. would have they just would have been throwing it would have been like throwing paper airplanes at a brick wall like he would never have gotten through like so yeah and I, I think they make a good point i mean yeah i mean the design when they do show the sardaukar planet and like like you said that blood ritual and like they have the, like the guttural singing throat singing guy like yeah you're like oh okay i get it you know like the Atreides are like this sort of refined, loyal, whatever culture, and the Harkonnens are like barbarians, and the Sardaukars are like um, Hessians, you know, just like German mercenaries, you know, who serve what, you know, just like, it's just interesting to see. And that's one thing I loved about the movie, which is like the scenery, the set design, the the lighting, and lastly, like just the music. I think the music did a great job in the same way that like the music of Lord of the Rings did a great job being like, Hey, the elf music is like this. And the dwarf music is like this. And the orc music is like this. I thought Hans Zimmer did a great job. Maybe my favorite Hans Zimmer score where it's just like, Hey, here's the music of these, you know, different cult. Like you see the Fremen have like this more like Arabic middle Eastern kind of style of music. And then the Sardaukars is sort of like brutal, strange, barbaric tones. And I just thought they did a great job. The music just kind of, scoring each culture and, and what was going on in the movie yeah yeah i mean they nailed the from the books and like all that they nailed the the feel of each culture of like the sardaukar this like kind of secretive brutal military force that is kind of is more of a mystery in the book than it obviously is in the movie of like where do they come from and why are they such good fighters and all that and mm-hmm. it's like you know, and then the Harkonnens who are these, you know, just like, like I loved the line that Josh Brolin gives him when they're doing the, the training and Gurney's like, you know, you do, when he gives him the, the fight speech, cause I love that in the book and I love how he delivered mm-hmm. it. Cause it's never how I've read it in my, like when I, like it's never mm-hmm. how I've been, done it in my head, but it was I was an like, interesting um, oh. reading of the lines. Yeah. Yeah, where he's just like, because that's the thing is like that line that like scar he has on his face he got from fighting. I think it was Raban that gave it to him, and like the Harkonnens killed his family and kid. Like he was a Harkonnen prisoner for a long time. Mm. That's like kind of his backstory. So he hates the Harkonnens, and that's like the reason he serves the Atreides is because the Atreides are the enemies of the Harkonnens. And the Duke was like, "Look, if I save you from this and I put you." You know, as like my weapons master, I'll promise you, you can kill as many Harkonnens as you want. And that's like how he won his loyalty. Mm. And he's like, you've never faced Harkonnens. They're not human. They're brutal, you know. They're animals. Yeah. And, and so, what did you think of like the, because uh, I've heard some people had had like some problems with the, some of the ship designs and stuff. Like they didn't un- really understand like the Harkonnens ships, like their drop ships or different things about the invasion part i didn't have problems with any of that (laughs) i thought it looked great like i don't know i didn't yeah no i I didn't have any qualms with the ship design i love the ornithopter 
Um, oh, it's, it's exactly what it always envisioned the ornithopters to be. Yeah. So cool. No, I, I didn't have any issues with any of that. But once again, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm sure if I read the book, maybe I would have had, uh, I, I thought of it this way, but then it looked this way. But like I said, I the guy, I forget, but the set designer, production designer that Denise used, he's used him in, I think, three of his movies now. Love him. I thought he did an amazing job. Um, and it is, yeah, just because, right, AI is banned. They did the machine thing. Now they're over it. Like, I love the way their technology looked and felt. Like, it's great. Um, how did you feel as someone who read the books? How did you feel about the voice? I I have mixed feelings about it. I like how they did the the audio of it a lot, mm-hmm. um, and the effect of it. Uh, it's definitely it's a lot more subtle in the book. Like it's because mm. the the idea of the voice is that it's not magic or anything. It's just that the so the whole idea of their culture and everything is that this is you know is thousands of years in the future. So just kind of take the idea of like, think about the the world record for the 100 meter dash or something, the first mm-hmm. time it was set versus how much faster it is now. And people thought like, how could it get any faster? And now it's probably less than half the time it took the first guy to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. So just like the idea of that people, like as a whole, humanity kind of improves and gets better and more like adept at doing certain tasks. The idea of the voice is that like if you say something in just the right way and like just the right time in just the right tone, it's kind of like the same ideas of, of like when you shout at a kid to stop and they just freeze for a second mm. and then they might keep doing what they're doing. But it's the idea that if you do it just right, no matter who the person is, you can have that effect on anybody where for like that second, mm. they just, do whatever you said. They don't think about it because it like takes over their brain. Interesting. And in the movie, they made it a lot more, you know, it sounded like, like a, like a spell, which I'm like, well, that's simpler. Yeah. And it has the same effect. I liked how the, they overlaid the person. Like, so like whoever's doing the voice, it's like their voice. Mm-hmm. And then the voice underneath it, I noticed I didn't get this until, um, I think it was this, maybe the second time I watched it. But it is when Paul did the voice on Lady Jessica, and underneath his voice was uh, the Reverend Mother's voice, and I was like, "Oh, it's like the oh. the uh, the ultimate authority figure in that person's head is underneath their mm. voice." So it's like, so I was like, "Okay, so that kind of like feeds into that the yeah. intent of the voice in the books." But I liked, it. I thought it sounds yeah. cool, and I, it works the same way as it does, where you just command mm-hmm. them. It's just like. In the ornithopter, when she's doing it on the people, it's like they're going to kill Paul because they're like in the middle of this escape. And -hmm. she's basically like seducing these guys into being like, oh, no, you know, like, just come over here and, you know, let me loose. So it's more of like a she can't just be like, let me cut my bindings. Just be like, oh, no. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah, I I love the effect of it and. The way the audio design they used for it, because it was, it was it's kind of jarring, kind of shocking, and it is like you said more witchcrafty, but it does kind of emphasize like right. There's the calculation people, there's the fighting people, there's like the Benny Gesserits are kind of like a witch-like or a cult-like sort of thing, and so I, I thought it was effective design in that way. Yeah, and um, just to show like the difference of the you know because you can only do so much dialogue and explaining like a book. You can sit there and rant for a few pages if it's interesting. Be like, oh, this is how this works. And this, you know, whereas you have to show it in a movie or waste dialogue 
in a movie that doesn't have that much dialogue to say, hey, here's how it is and how it works. And that's not always interesting to watch. Yeah. Which I, there's, there's lots of stuff like that in the book or in the movie where it's like, well, in the book, this is kind of how it works, but you can't really do it in the movie because it just takes too much time. Or like some stuff like when the hunter killer uh, comes to get Paul mm-hmm. and he like steps into the hologram. One of the things in the in the book is that he like to in order to keep from the hunter killer getting him, he has to stand like rock still. And I was like, well, yeah, I was like, oh, he's not completely still. And then I'm like, well, it's kind of impossible for a current. That's like one of the things that's supposed to be like, oh, that's crazy. Is that if you tried to stand still, you kind of move a little bit still like you can't just Mm -hmm. stand completely still. But because of like this training that his mom's given him and everything, like he can stand like they would have the only way to do the effect would be to like basically like freeze frame him. But then it just would look Mm -hmm. like he froze, he froze him, you know, and he's just not moving. So I kind of get that kind of stuff. But I think part of it would have been cool if like when it got right next to his eye, they did just like he just completely stopped moving where you just like have the hunter killer still buzzing around, but have his him not move at all mm-hmm. yeah but like these are people like in the book they talk about like that for their exercises to focus on things they'll like spend hours focusing and twitch and like flexing like one muscle in their cheek or something mm-hmm. like that like one fiber of a muscle and like that's the level of body control the benny Gesserit are trained to have and so like that's where like the voice comes in and where like their fighting technique comes in and all that and uh they are referred to a lot. I like that by showing it seem more like witchcraft, they got the same effect that the book gives by having people call them witches a lot more. Mm-hmm. So, because they are viewed as like yeah. this order of witches, basically, because everybody's like, you're crazy. Because most people are just normal people still. Like, they don't have any special abilities. It's just like mm-hmm. these certain orders or like the great houses who are like, we have to like you have to have these skills or you're going to get killed in your sleep because that's how society mm-hmm. works now. Yeah. Um, well, okay, here's my question. When are traitors ever going to learn that, like, barbaric warlords aren't going to keep their promises? You know? Like the doc- Dr. Oh. Yue who betrays House Atreides to try to get his wife out of captivity. It's like, you know, they killed your wife and now they're going to kill you. You know, it's just like... Yeah. Which... that They never learn. That's another thing from the book that he knew, like, he's like, yeah, the the Baron was like, yeah, I'll let her go. I'll release her and I'll let you be with her. And he's like, I know they're going to, he's like, they've probably already killed her. But I just, he's like, in his mind, he was doing it so they would kill her and they'd Mm. kill him. That's what he was expecting. So he knew going into it that that's what was going to happen. He never thought that he was going to survive it. So that's part of the reason why he like gave the Duke his fake tooth to try to it's kill a the Baron. Bad trade. Well, uh, so I mean, I get it right because yeah. if he can, if he can take down the Baron at the same time, I guess that makes more sense, like the vengeance thing. Which the idea is that they came to him, they approached him and said, "Like we have your wife," and they were like torturing her constantly Mm -hmm. so he did it to be like just kill her just Mm -hmm. just kill her don't you know he's like they take her apart like a doll you know and Mm -hmm. that's one of the theories is like people like 
maybe that little spider thing might have been his wife or it might have just been like a tease to another group of people that weren't in the movie but like the little spider person thing might have been like mm. what they were doing to his wife and stuff do you remember that oh yeah 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 so, the black the pet thing yeah which that's not mm-hmm. from the book but uh when i dug deeper into it it was it's a lot of people are like it looks a lot like a thing from um was it Jardakowski? is that how you say his name no yeah i don't know i don't know what but is. his dune uh version yeah so i uh here's my question well speaking of bug they black things bug things um I thought it was interesting. One thing, one question I kind of had, which the more times I watched it, the less it became a question in my mind. Because there's so many things when you watch it the first time, you're like, wait, they showed that happening. He had a vision of that. No, but that's not how it actually happened, you know? But I think thinking about that quote, it's kind of like, oh, he sees visions, but those visions aren't. Because he mentioned with the Benny Gesture, the mother leader lady, he's like, you know, I have visions. It's not, I don't see the future. It's not necessarily doesn't happen the same way. So there are so many times like things happened. We're like, oh, this is going to happen. Like, oh, it happened differently. Yeah. You know, so it's just interesting. One thing that did happen, um, he vision, he has a vision of Duncan dying. And in the beginning, when he talks about the dream he's having with Duncan, it shows the little black beetle cockroach guy, you know? Mm-hmm. And then towards the end of the movie, when it's Duncan, um, he picks up that little black bug. And you're like, okay, this one's going to happen. Like, it was, like, a really cool foreshadowing moment where, like, there's that black bug. Oh, there's the black bug again. Um, it's interesting. And I learned it actually as a callback to something Something happened to Denise's childhood and then also a callback to uh, or a reference to Seven Samurai. There's a scene in Seven Samurai where a samurai is, like, admiring a piece of nature or, like, a, it was, like, a butterfly or something. Or a flower. It was a flower, I think. Anyway, but he's helpless to, like, some enemy samurai they're going to come to kill him so it's just interesting so he's like oh yeah no i did that kind of as an homage to seven samurai and also it's a callback to like my childhood i was like oh, it was really interesting to hear him talk about like that scene in particular but there are a lot of visions that happen and then it leads up to that in the movie later on but then has a different ending like paul sees himself dying in the in the fight with Jameis. yeah but then he kills Jameis, and so i was confused the first time i watched it because it talks about even the, I think there's like the more, the voice of the Benny Jester is like, hey, you must die to become, yeah, you know, this other thing, and but then, but then they also say like, oh, like to ki- to die or to kill someone is also to die, you know, like it's it's just interesting. Um, it makes more sense the more times you watch it, and I was like, ah, oh, this. I, I appreciate the movie has layers and like there's some depth to it and rewatchability, because sometimes the blockbuster is like, yeah, no, go in once, watch it, we got your money, we're good. So I appreciate the level of effort that went into the writing and that it's like, it doesn't give you all the answers, but when you rewatch it, you do get a couple more answers. Not all the answers, but you get some of them back. Um, so I thought it was very well made in that in that sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I like how they're doing these visions because it's, it's him like unlocking this this power that kind of develops throughout the rest of the, the story, right? And mm-hmm. And like him being able to to see because one of the things in the movie or in the books is like he sees possible futures and like paths through time and then like some of them end and some of them are blurry and then you know later on in the book and then later on in the next book you get more details of like why how like that works as his powers develop and they try to explain it more and uh, yeah but it's yeah like it is cool like him seeing like uh 
the knife and uh, Cheney handing it to him and him killing James. I did like one of the things I liked with James was um, they cut out a lot of uh, stuff with Kynes um, and particularly mm. like so Kynes um, when they when he dies in the book gets like just kind of left on the sand. That's how they kill him. And so there's a lot of like there's several chapters where they start with like kind of a let's check on on how he's doing, you know, and mm-hmm. like him dying slowly as he's traveling and like being like, maybe I can get to a CH and survive. You know, they think I'll die in the desert, but like, you know, it's just I'm out here. I know what I'm doing, you know, and like him having these uh, visions of his father or like these uh, hallucinations of his father and like lines he gave. And so they're lines that are really good and important somewhat to the story. And the ones that are really important or like really impactful, they just had Jameis say in those visions to Paul. And I was mm-hmm. like, that's good. That's awesome. Cause it's the same effect. And you just can kind of like cut a ton of this extra baggage out with kinds. Mm-hmm. But so they did, I think kinds is the most significant character they cut out and they left the character in for the important parts and just kind of like cut out the parts that just, you know, were like, well, mm-hmm. uh, this is just kind of left over from when he was the main character or left over from, or stuff you don't need stuff that builds the political tensions. Cause like there was like a whole scene in the books where there's like a dinner where they kind of introduce a bunch of characters. Like one person is the water seller because the poles have ice. Mm-hmm. So there's like people that have factories there that, harvest the ice melt it into water and then ship it to the cities and like they're the super Mm -hmm. rich people there and like so they're not necessarily the galactic super rich people but they're like kind of the people that control the flow of water on dune Mm -hmm. and so there's like them and all the lesser nobles and everything and then there's a part that kind of showcases that all these people are either afraid or respect kinds to like mm. build it up as like this person that like oh this is the real like ultimate authority on the planet and then yeah. you can just kind of skip past all that because because he dies in the book and the movie she yeah, dies yeah. in the movie he dies in the book um I thought was, this is the the second or the third movie where I've had to watch Timothy Chalamet do a one on one fight to the death so I thought that was interesting I wonder if that's going to continue it's a trajectory for his career remember that movie The King remember that one oh yeah. Yeah, he has, he has a fight to the death in that one, too. Yeah. So, little fun little, you know, maybe we'll, maybe we'll get to do another one. This poor boy, he's so skinny. Just want to fatten him up. And, uh, yeah, escape death twice, two times so far. Duels to the death. Two for two, good for him. Oh, yeah. Um, talk about the music, love the music. Hans Zimmer um, loves the novel. And this was, I think I talked about this in the Tenet podcast, but... Hans Zimmer declined working on Tenet so he could score this movie. Otherwise, he would have done the music for Tenet. That was a good choice. So that, oh yeah, definitely. Which is interesting. It's like he always works with Christopher Nolan. Like they've done so many movies together, so it's interesting. Um, just a few fun facts. Number one, uh, David Lynch thought this was interesting because I knew he did the 1984 movie, and I we've done a couple David Lynch movies on the podcast. I'm not the biggest like I really respect him as a director, but he's not like I'm not a fan of his work necessarily. But he said, um, someone mentioned like, oh, are you interested in, you know, doing a new Dune or interested in the new movie at all? And he said, um, he's like, I don't have any issues with um, Denis Villeneuve. Like, it's not, that's not that's not why I don't want to watch the movie. He said, 
um, it's because of the issues I had, all the painful memories I have from making the 1984 version. He said, because it was a heartache for me. It was a failure, and I didn't have final cut. Told the stories a billion times. It's not the film I wanted to make. I like certain parts of it very much, but it was a total failure for me. And I've heard David Lynch talk about never giving up final cut. I just didn't realize it was Dune 1984 that like taught him that lesson, where he's like, nope. And it's just interesting that like that Dune didn't do that well, but it's a cult favorite, but also like it never reached its potential, but also it never had final cut from the director. So I just it's interesting um, to see some of that play out and yeah, yeah. So many people have tried to do this movie, and so far this is the first one to like really succeed, like box office wise, and also critically well, pretty well received. Yeah. Also, uh, there was a spinoff prequel series titled Dune the Sisterhood that was announced for HBO Max. Oh, yeah. um, so I don't know if that's going to pan out. I know one of the writers for the movie decided he was attached to that project, decided like he's going to skip it to keep working on Dune Part 2. But um, I wonder if that'll keep going or not. I don't know. Yeah, I've heard also, a lot of people are excited about it. That, uh, yeah. Um, also, Javier Bardem is the third Bond villain actor to play Stilgar in the Dune adaptation. So in the in the previous Dune adaptations, they were also actors who played Bond villains in different movies. So Nice. If you play a Bond villain, there's a good chance you may end up being in Dune as Stilgar specifically. So, there you go. Yeah. Finally, talk to a little about the writers. The cinematographer um, also worked on Rogue One and Zero Dark Thirty. So mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah, there was a lot of like... Now that you mentioned that the uh, the Zero Dark Thirty, there was a lot of similar shots during the invasion part, that of like you know the overhead shots of like mm. the invader like invaders swarming into a compound or something, and it, it did it it was very similar in a lot of that parts, so that that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So the uh, I wanted to hit you with this because everybody was like, oh, this thing getting released on HBO Max and theaters, it's gonna fail. And have you looked at the box office? A little bit. I haven't been updated in a few days, though, so hit me with it. So the budget of the... Wasn't it? Did you you see the budget of the film? The estimated budget? No, I'm going to guess. It's probably like a... That's a big one, I'm guessing. It's a big boy. One... How big? Are we talking big, big boy? Uh, Not big, big, but big for... Big for normal movies, not big for Marvel movie. 180? 165 is the estimated budget. Okay. Last I saw, it was like over 200 worldwide. Like 220 worldwide was the opening weekend, I think. What's it at now? So right now, the gross worldwide is 236. 236 okay. million. So the opening weekend in the U.S. and Canada was $40 million. Mm-hmm. And so like that was big enough for, you know, like Legendary and Warner to come out and be like, yeah, we're doing another one. Was it big enough? It Wasn't it like the biggest... HBO release because like it beat Godzilla and it beat I think part of it just it's the right timing but also there must have been a lot of like fans of the book that were ready for it yeah like they came out and they're like it's it's by far Warner's biggest movie since I think it beat pandemic did it beat No Time to Die's opening weekend oh yeah it's it's beat everything out right now so far it uh first the first real blockbuster of 2021 despite there being a Bond movie and a Marvel movie and you know all this other stuff that came out this year. Yeah. it It's already, it's, so it's at number 131 in the top rated IMDb movies. Oh, wow. So. Yeah, I, I, it has good reviews, but not like absolutely stellar. Um, I don't know. I, I think too, I want to recommend this movie to people like very strongly. But I just think you need to kind of understand like it's Neville Love. So 
it will be a little slower paced, but I think it's very worth the effort. And especially when we see the sequel, I think it'll come through and be like, no, it was it was really worth the the time and the effort to yeah. sit through a movie that's a little slow. I mean, it's beautifully made. Oh yeah, great performances. It's a great world. I don't know. I'm such a nerd for like sci-fi gadgets and props and stuff. So I mean, that part's satisfying to me, but all of it. I mean, the lighting was great. The actor, they had a stellar cast and, you know, the sets and the music, like all of it was really good. It really transports you to a different place. So for that reason alone, I think it's, it's worth a watch. Oh yeah. And if you can see an IMAX, it's pretty cool. Oh yeah. Cause they shot at least all the, the like wide shots, you know, all the big, uh, so, mm-hmm. uh, what's the word? What am I looking for? All, Scenery. All like the outside shots are in IMAX. Exteriors. Which I liked that somebody pointed out that it's when you're outside and like looking over Dune or over uh, Caladan, which is mm-hmm. the planet they came from, or any of the planets mm-hmm. really. Like when you're outside, it, if you're watching it in IMAX, it'll go to the full IMAX uh, mm-hmm. ratio. And then once you go inside, it goes back down to the the normal cinematic interesting one. so they like some people mix feelings some people don't like when it bounces back and forth but somebody yeah, i struggle with that a little bit somebody pointed out I, I like this that it does it with to give you like that more claustrophobic feeling when you're inside mm. and like talking to people yeah it's like all the shots are a lot more zoomed in on faces and the aspect ratio is uh, shortened yeah so it, i mean the the shots in IMAX are gorgeous. And that's part of the reason I didn't like it when it bounced back and forth. It's like, it's so cool when it's like the full picture. So you just want more of it, you know? Yeah. Which, I mean, you'll get more of it in the second one, just based on how that book rolls out. They're like out in the open desert a lot more often and doing stuff out Uh there. But doing stuff out there. (laughs) Doing stuff. Um, Is there anything else else to say? I mean, I, I loved it. You gotta go see it. Yeah, I think. I mean, it's see it for me. This is something that's been viewed as impossible to make for a long time. I think Denis knocked it out of the park. I think David Leach, he can or David Lynch, he could say all the time that he, you know, oh, I didn't get final cut. But here's the thing: I asked my dad, who's a super nerd, when it came out, and an adult, and like able to go see it in the theaters, and he did go see it in the theaters, mm-hmm. and he's like, it didn't look good at the time. The mm-hmm. effects looked cheesy and bad when it came out and it was brand new yeah he's like that's why it kind of failed because it it looked it looked like a tv movie but it was a movie that needed the the revenue of a theater release movie you know right right so man that's kind of more i think of why that one failed because i mean like the actors that were in it a lot of them gave very i mean like uh who's it like uh, i was sitting neil patrick harris um, Patrick Stewart pay, played Gurney Halleck. So, I mean, it's not oh, like yeah. they didn't get good actors to play mm-hmm. the characters. But yeah. I think they got lost in the weeds a lot more. It lost it. Like, they didn't want to cut out certain things, and the stuff they did cut out and change, it was, like, stuff that was critical to the story, which is... Whereas Denis, mm. like, the more I read about it as they were making the movie, the more I was like, this is going to be good. Because he's like, I'm already, like, planning... Like, I want to go into Dune Messiah and make that, you know, like, I want three movies. I want to get get that. And he's like, I love this. It's amazing. You know, like, and I was like, yeah. So he, like, likes the book and understands what's important and what's not. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I just wish that uh, Lady Jessica wasn't so uh, quick to cry all the time. Because she's supposed to come across as kind of like a heartless monster unless she's with like... And then like there's some a few parts where like it's like, oh no, she like cares, you know? Mm, yeah, no, that is interesting. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i ready. I'm ready for more. People just, I give it an A. Oh, yeah. It would get an A plus if I, if I had better diction. Um, I give it an A. Great yeah. job. Nailed it. I, I, I give it A plus. A plus. <sighs> this is probably my favorite <sighs> movie we've done so far. Wow. Right up there with Dracula Untold. <laughs> you know? It's high praise coming from you. Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for listening. You can share us, rate us, review us on Apple Podcasts, and also everywhere else. You can engage on the social media, on the metaverse. Um, on the Facebook. On Facebook, <laughs> Instagram, Twitter, at Opinion Havers. Yell at us or whatever. Thanks for listening. Until next time, watch movies. And have opinions. Facebook changed the name to Meta. <laughs> yeah one step closer to dune that's all i'm saying you know <laughs> wendy's was like we're changing our name to meat <laughs> <laughs>